Let me pray for us to get a start. Heavenly Father, we thank you for bringing us here tonight uh, to learn more about you and your word and what you tell us to do and what you tell us not to do. And uh, just allow us to have open ears to hear what you have to teach us tonight. And I just want to thank you for sending these people to fill these chairs and just allow us to enjoy each other during this time. And I want to lift up whoever it was that was in that car accident that uh, your will be done in that situation. But I pray that they uh, recover quickly and well and that their families uh, deal well with this uh, situation as well. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. All right, we are in 1 Timothy chapter 4. So we have 4, 5, and 6 left. And after... Unless something changes, I plan to go right into 2 Timothy. I think I said it last week uh, with a video study of 2 Timothy. So I'll just, it's like a 10 or 12 minute video, and we'll just, I'll just facilitate the questions from the video. But we're going to get a lot of Paul speaking to Timothy for the next little while, unless the Lord leads me somewhere else, which could happen. So let me start by reading 1 Timothy chapter 4. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teaching of demons. Teachings of demons. Through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, and set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity, until period, in purity, period. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given to you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. Hello, Scots. How are you all doing? Okay, so remember in 1 Timothy uh, chapters 1 and 2, Paul warned Timothy about false teachers and that Jesus came to save sinners. Uh, That was in chapter 1, I'm sorry. In chapter 2, he says to pray for all people and that men are responsible for some things and women are responsible for other things within the church. There is one mediator between God and man, and that is Jesus and no one else. In chapter 3, uh, Paul outlines church government and that pastors and deacons within a church body must meet a certain standard. 
And chapter four is about apostasy within the church. And apostasy is defined as the abandonment or renunciation of a religious belief. And just this week, as, I, as we think about chapter three, and we talk about how there's, there's roles for men and women in the church. I saw an article on a news, um, a worthwhile news website that in the Church of England, it was a picture of this woman and she had like a, it was an Anglican church, but she had like a, you know, a Catholic priest wears the black with the white little thing. Um, this woman, she was probably like my age and she had tattoos and the heading was, the heading said something like, female priest is, I can't remember exactly what it said, female priest is uh, bullied because she has, not bullied, but uh, ridiculed because of her tattoos. And I'm thinking, well, they're missing the point here. She shouldn't, she shouldn't even be a priest. I don't know anything about the Anglican Church or the Church of the Church. Of, it's the Church of England, which is the Anglican Church. But I'm thinking, I don't know that tattoos are really the point. I don't, not too certain she should be a priest. But I didn't read into it too much. I just thought it was funny. Ha ha ha. So uh, chapter four is about apostasy, and in verse one, verse one says, now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. So apostasy as it relates to Christianity means that a person or a group of people or even a church body once believed in the biblical truth that we understand and have since turned away from it. So they would have faith in Jesus at one point in time, and that faith has diminished to nothing or to false teaching. And a simpler way of saying this would be someone once professed faith in Jesus and then departed from it later. And according to Paul in this verse, it says, when these people depart from the faith, they will devote themselves to deceitful spirits. And these spirits would be considered satanic or demonic spirits. So this study is loaded with questions. So. The first question is, Satan is crafty. What are some of the biggest temptations that Satan throws our way in our culture that could cause people to turn away from God's truth? So these people, if apostasy is that at some point they did believe and then through a series of satanic departure, they don't now believe. What what in our culture, what in our lifetime have we seen? Um, think about like, Pastors, there's many pastors that have fallen out of the faith because of certain things. Jim Jones, not our Jim Jones. Yeah, the Kool Aid Jim Jones. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, most of those guys started out in regular church and believers and power and Satan. Yeah. Led astray. What about the, what's the one guy? I can't think of his name that did that big standoff. What was it? Di- Branch of Davidian? Yeah. He was a, he was a, he knew scripture, right? They used it in a perverted way. Yeah. Um, there, there were verses that he took into a whole other context, you know, that 
Yeah. 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 Like, like I said, seek the version. So the Jim Jones, same thing. Mm -hmm. Kool-Aid Jim Jones, not that different. <laughs> Uh, any other examples people can think of? Not necessarily people, but in what ways uh, people fall from the truth of God and start to follow other things? Small TV, that doesn't, you know, sometimes tragedies like within a family will make them turn against God's word or turn against you know. Yeah. Usually there's one of three things. Money, sex, or ego. Yeah. yeah. I have my examples were wealth or greed, power, love or lust, laziness, and fear. And, I mean, we see people just follow these things like they are God itself, you know, power or love. Even if they think, you know, people put so much stock in relationships and, like, trying to have the perfect relationship, which essentially is lust most of the time, but... Um, Sometimes tragedy can turn people away because if, if they were in the church and they could just try to get one trial after another trial or some sad events, they, they, they lose their faith. Mm -hmm. so, yeah, I've, I've seen that happen. You know, somebody gets sick, mm -hmm. then all of a sudden all this stuff starts piling up and you're like, you know, what are they thinking? After they committed to Jesus, and then all this bad stuff starts happening. Kind of like Job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he went through it. But he remained faithful in the end. Any other thoughts? You mentioned the American dream in our first or second week. So chasing the dream and always, oh, I can do faith later, do that later at work, and we're going to do all these things to get to the ultimate goal. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, we get we get nervous that we're. I don't know. I I I'm mentioning I'm mentioning some of that this Sunday. Just like we get nervous that we don't have enough, or we're not comfortable enough, or we need more, or I need to have this amount, or whatever. And then all of a sudden, you've gone ten years. You've strayed ten years from the faith. It's a scary thing. Because we think means are this latter time. Uh, I did read into that some, and I didn't make any notes of it. But what I recall was, uh, let me read it again. In later times, some will depart. Some people, based on my brief research of it, some people tend to think that later times mean in like the final days, where other theologians think that later times just means after the time, the present time that. Paul speaking about in the context that he's speaking. Yeah, I've got like a commentary and a footnote. It says the latter times began with Christ's resurrection, with Christ's resurrection, and will continue until His return, when He will set up His kingdom and judge all humanity. I'm reading my notes now. It talks about in latter times being the Antichrist will come and appear to be, you know, someone you would look up to, but but still being 
Can times, yeah. The um, Greek word is hysteros and Greek word for what? For later. Oh. And it's kind of ambiguous. Later, second, finally, last of all, later, after, finally, finally, last of all, later on. <laughs> Sometime in the future. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's see what verse 2 says. Verse 2 says, um, Through the insincerity of liars who, whose consciences are seared. So the false teaching it will come through the insincerity of liars who con, whose consciences, consciences are seared. So the leading astray is going to happen through false teaching. People are going to create their own gospel. One of the biggest examples of this today is the prosperity gospel, in my opinion. If you believe in God, your life will be better or great, or you will get rich, or you will meet the perfect spouse, blah, blah, blah. Um, but a more subtle example that I found um, was given by J.D. Greer, who was at one point the president of the Southern Baptist Convention. And he said... Uh, he gave four examples of false gospels. And as I was reading these, I was thinking to myself, uh-oh, at times I've fallen into these little traps. So just listen to these and think, like, how have I ever have I ever fallen in this or, or what? You don't understand what I mean when I read them. So um, false gospel number one, and there's many examples of this. This is just the one that I chose to kind of highlight. We believe a false gospel whenever we make something else besides faith in Christ necessary for salvation. This means that we think the gospel and something else brings salvation, which is not true. Salvation comes by grace through faith, and this is not from ourselves. It's a gift from God. So the gospel and works don't save. Only, only faith in the grace of the gospel saves. False gospel number two. We believe a false gospel whenever we assume that it doesn't matter what you believe, so long as you are sincere, loving, and a good person. And that people would say, we're all trying to get to the same place, you know. Um, this example really doesn't require much explanation where we all would agree that good, there are no good people. And um, good people only get to heaven if they believe the true gospel. None of us are truly good anyways. We're all sinful. And I'm going to talk about David Platt all the time because I listen to every sermon that he puts out. And I hope he doesn't fall from grace because that would break my heart because I really look up to him. But he says, you know, if we think about the countries that are the gospel hadn't reached yet, uh, that's the reason. that's the reason he says this. He said that he's been asked before by people um, if there was a good person that was born on a deserted island who died and never heard the gospel, would the good person go to heaven? And David Platt's response was this. Yes, if a good person was born on a deserted island and lived a good life and never heard the message of the gospel, then yes, he would go to heaven. The problem is, apart from Jesus, there are no good people. <laughs> that makes you think, doesn't it? <laughs> So we're all trying to get to the same place. To me, is a bogus comment. Uh, the God of the Bible gives us direction. And, and you hear that a lot of times. Um, 
from people that may be not so in tune with Scripture because God gives us all the direction that we need on how He wants us to live. And if we aren't seeking to understand what He has told us, are we really trying to get to the same place? False gospel number three, we believe a false gospel whenever we try to grow ourselves spiritually through self-control or self-effort, I'm sorry. And number four, we believe a false gospel whenever we think we can produce spiritual change in other people. We aren't the ones responsible for salvation. We deliver the message of the true gospel and do our best to shine a light to everyone we encounter, but it is God who saves, not us. And I have noted here, often we carry on with a mix of these four examples of false gospels. We try harder and harder to do certain things so that a person is saved when in many ways we are powerless. We must lean heavily on Jesus during these times. So question, I Tink, myself, have unintentionally participated in numbers three and four, and maybe the other two also, at some point. Um, does anyone else find that they've been part of one of these four false gospels unintentionally? Like, oh, we're all trying to get the same place, which we are, but there's, there's direction on how that happens. We're all trying to get the same place, but there's only one way to get there. Yeah. So this false teaching, like all of this is about this whole book is about false teaching and and just even that one sentence. Because people are you know how we are, we're we're sheep. Well who was talking about sheep the other day, how stupid sheep are. <laughs> they're just you they're just pathetically dumb. And we are the same way. And if we hear a sentence like, well, we're all trying to get to the same place. Somebody could hear that like, well, I don't need to go to church and learn any more about Jesus. We're all probably going to heaven. Everybody's good anyway. You know, that's false teaching. Even if the person doesn't know they're the teacher, people are learning all the time um, from what other people say. If God is love, he wouldn't send anybody to hell. Yeah. What What is the one you said about trying to produce spiritual results in someone else? Um, I think that would probably be one. Yeah, I, the way I think of it... Someone's spiritual growth or something. Yeah, uh, we believe in false gospel whenever... Nope, that's the wrong one. We believe a false gospel whenever we think we can produce spiritual change in other people. Right. Like you think, I could have said more. And many times there are, you could have said more, but... Who knows if it would have made a difference? We put so much pressure on ourselves to like um, share the the perfect thing at the perfect time, like it's our words that save someone, and it's just it's a head game because we do have to open our mouths and share, but it's God that does the work. You know, it messes my head to even think about because I'm so critical of every single thing that comes out of my mouth. I'll leave this study tonight and I'm like, I'm sure I said 15 things that were just dumb, you know. I'm just so hard on myself. And I, you all probably are too, you know. I didn't do enough. I didn't say enough. I should have done more. I should have done this. When God is the one, you know, when when we fail, we need to just pray and say, God, if, I, if there's something more I can do tomorrow or the next time I encounter this person, please allow me to share that, you know. 
but sometimes we just need to keep our mouth shut and let the Holy Spirit do their work. Yeah, that too. <laughs> but we are responsible for sharing. It's just we don't need to be so hard on ourselves for okay. our failures also. Verses 3 through 5. Who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. So these verses contextually, contextually relate to religious cults or sects. Sects, that's a hard word to say. S-E-C-T-S. Sex. I should have just left that word out. During that time that we're creating extra rules for holiness. So these people in, in this culture were trying to, you know, take things away from themselves to be more holy, which isn't required. It was believed that abstaining from certain foods or relationships or activities would produce more holy lifestyles, and this was and is not true. We can't allow food or sex, actual sex with an X, or certain relationships to cause us to sin by idolizing these things, but food, sex, and relationships are a gift from God that are meant for our good, but God has, has a design and a plan for these things. For example, nowhere in Scripture does it say that a pastor or deacon should avoid marriage for the sake of holiness. Remember in the last chapter, we learned that pastors and deacons should be the husband to one wife, which implies that it is okay for a church leader to be married. Paul does, Paul does tell us that if we are single instead of married, we will be less distracted. That's, y'all are supposed to laugh at that part. <laughs> which I think we could all agree with that. But he goes on to say in the next verse that if we are single and burning with sexual desire, we should go ahead and get married. So as I was reading verses 3 through 5, I was trying to think of subtle ways we could become guilty of thinking we are achieving extra levels of holiness by being more righteous than others. And a few examples that came to my mind were claiming that our preferred version of the Bible is the right one or thinking that the clothes that we wear or the style of clothes that we wear um, matter in a certain way. It is fine, I have noted here, it is fine or acceptable to have a preference on these matters, but Bible versions and nice clothes don't make you more holy than the next guy. Any thoughts on that? I think sometimes people have personal convictions and then they try to make it a church-wide conviction. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, like, <clears throat> just using the example of uh, what you wear. You know, maybe there's a certain type of clothes that you prefer to wear to church, and, and this is your personal conviction. Well, then you start pointing that personal conviction you have to other people, and you judge them based on your personal conviction. There's nothing wrong with your personal conviction, but it's your conviction. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good point, and I agree with it. And, and you can use that for lots of different things, but that's just an example of clothing. But you may have a personal conviction to not do this or do this or fast for certain days or not, whatever. Uh oh. Yeah, I think we just need to humble our, humble ourselves, be humble in all things. Like, Heather reads this version. I don't like that version. Well, I'm I'm not Heather, and she's not me. But there are certain things we need to. There are certain versions that make my head think, oh, you should be reading that. Probably there's better versions than that. But uh, as I think about gentleness, I need 
<laughs> you think about how to say like ah, don't be reading that one maybe. if you're spending your time fussing about what version of the Bible you're using you're wasting time that could be spent winning someone to Christ yeah yeah there's a bell in the road. There's a what? That's a bell in the road, right? <laughs> I don't follow you. You're throwing bricks. That's what I said. Basically. Okay, verses six and seven. <laughs> Moving on. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths rather train yourself for godliness so these verses are a, are a reminder to timothy to do everything to fight against any false teaching paul is warning timothy to totally avoid all nonsense avoid silly myths and train yourself for godliness question this should be a very interactive one what have been some of the most successful seasons in your life as it relates to training for godliness or maybe like think about it as like a spiritual high like where you felt like I am where I mean I have so many examples of this of I feel like I am where I need to be like I am within God's will right now like this season for me is one of those now three months from now that might not be the case but other examples <laughs> other examples that i have uh from my in my life are when i started seminary like i was and i and, and this is like a snowball effect my faith has grown through all of these things but when i started taking seminary classes you know i held that in high regard like oh this is this is a big step this is important uh this needs to be taken as an important thing because it is an important thing and then uh, our trip to Africa was another big one and then this current season and all of those things have snowballed just like I was talking about baptism last week like baptism is the initial step of obedience and then so at baptism your snowball might be this big and then as it goes it's growing so you know baptism church membership uh, I can't think like I've read the New Testament. Uh, I did some stupid, sinful things and I had to repent, but then the snowball should should keep going. Like our walk should look something like this. Like we have ups and downs, but it should always be moving upward. So does anybody have any examples of successful seasons of your life or even examples of unsuccess or lack of success? I think you feel it more when you're in the Word and you're, say, Bible school week. You know, when you see, when you see the kids and you see it click, per se, you watch them and you've, you've seen them, and all of a sudden you, they realize what we've been trying to tell them. That is a high. Mm -hmm. That you know, there's no explaining that. And when you do that, you know, for a period of time, mission trips, you know, things like that. But they are, like you said, there's a lot of highs and sometimes there are some lows. But when you think, when I think back, those are the things that I think back to is, you know, seeing a child, think, you know, seeing it through their eyes all over again mm -hmm. just makes you go, okay, this is what we got to do and this is how we do it. You yeah. Know? So. I think the mission trips are some high points. Like, 
the Environmental Zone Initiative, I think they experienced that high there. When the Utah was life-changing experience. With Rodney's brother? Was that, did you go recently? We love stealing people from Burlington. I have a lot of good friends in Burlington. They're welcome to come down here. <laughs> Yeah, I think I've spent a lot of time thinking about why I've never I've only been on three or four trips, but each one of them teaches you something different. And I thought I think why is that that like it's such a impactful trip for ourselves? Like, I, of course, you don't aim to selfishly go on a trip to be to impact yourself. But I think the biggest reason I think that that happens is one because you're doing something that God has told you to do like let's go to Utah and serve these people that don't know Jesus but two you have to commit you it's a commitment you have to commit how long did you go to Utah I mean how were you there for a week or something no, I mean, two different, two different times. so it's a commitment you walk away from work and I don't know if you were working at the time or what but you say okay this week I'm not going to make any money because I am leaving work or maybe you have vacation time or whatever either way you're making a commitment to leave your home to go serve Jesus in a different context and you put your phone down and you quit worrying about your bank account and you quit worrying about your wife and your kids for seven days that's not a bad thing i mean we need to work we need to not worry is not the right word we need we have responsibilities and heather and my children are my responsibility but it's okay every now and then to walk away from that and go serve the lord in a different context and when you do that my goodness it's well, extremely rewarding the exhaustion that you had i mean physically <clears throat> you're exhausted when you're doing those kind of trips I mean, it takes everything you have, but God is carrying you, and you feel that through the whole trip. You know, Venezuela was our probably our biggest one. You know, it was a scary trip. It was, you know, we didn't know we didn't know to be scared actually until we got home, and then it was like, wow, you know, how scary it really was. <laughs> we were, you know, I wasn't the least bit. You were oblivious to the danger until yes. you got back. <laughs> and I got back, and it was probably a month later, and I just all of a sudden just almost fell apart because I was like, man, how dangerous that was, you know? Yeah. But it was very, um, I mean, totally physically, mentally exhausting, but you were on this high that nobody could bring you down. Uh-huh, you know, yeah. Just... You get a lot of spiritual traction during times like that, oh, too. Yeah. To... It gives you just a different perspective, like, oh, this is this is nice. It's a God thing. Yeah. You could feel it you yeah. know, the whole time. You could feel it. And maybe that's why it creates such a group in you as an individual or as a Christian, because you are A, focused on service, which is what Jesus tells us we're supposed to do. And even like Benita said, you're totally like you are pouring yourself out, like you are totally emptying yourself of yourself, mm -hmm. serving to the fullest. And that's so many times, you know, 
when you are most open to to receive and to grow. But the, the same spirit, the same growth can come from any sort of uh, commitment to Christ. Like if you're not in the Word and you say, "I'm going to commit and I'm going to read and I'm going to get together with a small group of other people and read," the same kind of growth can occur. But just something about the getting out of your, leaving the comforts of your own home, and Dale wouldn't know anything about that. But <laughs> I'm just kidding, Dale. Just stop giving Dale such a hard time. Go ahead, Bob. They was interviewing a girl and just got back from the youth court. She was in Africa for two years. And they asked her if she learned anything while she was there. She says, I learned a new car, a color TV, and a big bankroll is not the necessity of life. It's one meal a day and a dry place to sleep at night. That's something that when I went, when we went to Africa, it's something you don't even think about. We don't, we, we think about hygiene, but it's like an involuntary thought. Like we don't think, oh, dang, I got to go buy my deodorant and my toothbrush today. That's going to cost a lot of money. We just do it and we put it on and we don't stink. And no offense to the people there, they don't have that luxury. They don't, they can't go to Kroger and buy deodorant. Now it is available in certain places, but they might not have the money. They don't even have money for food. I mean, they live in a shed that's made out of scrap metal and cow poop, seriously. (laughs) Yeah, just whatever. And so all it takes is like two days. You're like, (laughs) but then you just, you're like, you know what? It's kind of relaxing to not, they, they have so much more, uh, humility because they don't they don't see themselves in the same way that we do like our hair has to be in place or I can't have wrinkles on my shirt or whatever and you see adults walking around with two different flip flops on or no shoes at all or whatever and you think my gosh we spent a lot of time time energy and money worrying about st- st- Stupid things, just the dumbest things. So that's an appreciation more than anything. You really appreciate what you have. Yeah, yeah. I'm ready to go back. Can we leave tomorrow? <laughs> Takes a long time to get there. Okay, verses eight through ten. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. So Paul's reference to bodily training relates to the culture of Ephesus, and I had to dig into this pretty deep. Uh, Ephesus was an athletic culture, uh, like kind of like an Olympic sort of foot racing and things like that. So Paul's not saying that exercise is bad. He's saying pay attention to the things that are important and remove the things that are not important. So I think 
in Ephesus, all that athletic stuff was held in high regard. And it made me think, in our culture, Paul would word it this way. UK basketball is not important as it relates to eternity. Cincinnati Reds baseball is not important as it relates to eternity. Yet we see loads of people that make these two teams their God. And Paul is warning Timothy about this. He does say that there is some value. So if we can watch these sports teams and not let the results consume our lives and become our God, that is acceptable. This is also true for physical exercise. We can't let our physique become our God. So what Paul is telling Timothy is that we must keep godliness at the forefront of our minds. He says godliness godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So are you considering godliness in your life the most important treasure of your life on earth and your eternal life? Sometimes is my answer. Anybody else want to share anything about that? Oh, the... See a lot of UK basketball. I see a lot of UK shirts. Right? <laughs> Kool-Aid Jim Jones back there got his on. What am I wearing? I don't even know what I'm wearing. <laughs> I'm sorry, I cut somebody off. Oh, no, if we, if we put as much effort into building our spiritual body like we do our physical bodies um, by, you know, by keeping our focus on our relationship with Christ, the life we're praying, we're praying and staying in this world, then we're going to be a lot stronger spiritually. So we need to take like, that more of a priority than our physical fitness. I'm guilty of both. <laughs> It is upsetting. Like we went to that Reds game the other week, and uh, everybody's just hooting and hollering like it's the greatest, the, just the greatest thing on earth. And is it exciting? Kind of, I, but I mean, is it worth all the screaming and cussing and fussing? My kids look around and they said, "Why's everybody flipping the middle finger up?" And I mean, there's f word this and f word that about a baseball game. I mean, who cares? Why are we, you putting so much energy into something that means nothing, you know? It's, and then you think about people at church, and I'm guilty of this too. You know, I don't scream like a fool at a baseball game, but I also don't sing like a fool at church in a good way. I sit there like this, my hands in my pockets. And I'm like, well, I'm hungry, you know? <laughs> and that's, Five minutes before I'm going up there to preach, you know. I'm a head case, guys. <laughs> I mean, I, you all have those same thoughts. It's just, it's unfortunate. <laughs> Isn't it? <laughs> but there are seasons, you know, where you know, I'm in, I, and it's really alarming because I'm in a good season. So I better see some, some real singing and cheering. Remember that, go ahead. <clears throat> no, you're good. I uh, say something. Last Sunday was uh, just one of those times when you see God work. Our Sunday school lesson, which was, you know, written by the Southern Baptist Convention, and it was about baptism. So we, the men's class, we had a lot of discussion about baptism. Well, then, you know, we were having baptism. 
And then he preached on baptism. So Bob Stegman, he comes up to me after church and he said, man, that was neat. We just had that discussion in our Sunday school class and now we got a sermon on it. Yeah. But, you know, and a lot of times James will say, you know, he'll pick a song out three months back and it'll hit right with the sermon that's being preached that Sunday. Mm-hmm. And, you know, God just does things like that. Yeah. And I think, too, the more in tune we stay and connected we stay during the week in the Word, like the more that stuff happens because we're more aware of it. Like maybe like today I was reading a lot in Matthew chapter five and maybe tomorrow I'll listen to a sermon and it unintentionally will be about Matthew chapter five. I'm like, just reading Matthew chapter five. And it's just because you build this traction and you build interest and you build uh, desire like your desire for these things just grows and grows and grows the more you commit you know well if you said Sunday that wasn't the sermon that you thought you were going to preach well I sat down I sat down to write the one that I was supposed to write and nothing happened (laughs) (laughs) and now a week or maybe a month from now you'll pick that same subject and that sermon will fall in place like hand. Well, I've got it written already now. <laughs> I finished it today, so yeah, it was. I got more positive feedback from from that sermon last week, and that wasn't because of anything I did. It was just uh, I don't know. It was just good timing, I guess. God's timing of the message. But, and like I said, they want to be baptized that day, and you get in the water, so it'll be cold. <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. Fine with me. I don't know about anybody else. Fire that up. Fire that sucker up. I don't know if I ever. Te- I don't know if I ever said it to you or not, but you texted me about. It. I got that sucker fired up. I was like, "What is he talking about?" <laughs> but then five minutes later, I was like, "Oh, I know he's talking about." Okay. Verses eleven and twelve. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. So Paul is encouraging Timothy here by saying that his age has nothing to do with his spiritual maturity and to not let anyone tell him otherwise. Paul goes on to say that Timothy must set an example and be the example to others regarding his speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. My notes that I created said, I'm sure my age and lack of pastoral ministry experience has frightened a few folks in this church, but what I must remember is that the Lord has appointed me for this task. This means that like Timothy, regardless of my age or what other people think, I need to be the example and set the standard to the best of my ability. See, God gave you that verse for tonight. There you go. Yep. It should be on all of our minds to be a great example to other believers. Paul even tells us in Romans to try to outdo one another in showing honor. Romans chapter 12, verses 10 through 13 says, Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Question, in what ways can we outdo one another in showing honor? What kind of feeling does that these verses give you to outdo one another in showing honor? It seems seems dirty or something, doesn't it? <laughs> seems like something we shouldn't be doing for some reason. 
Any thoughts on that? What ways can we outdo one another in showing honor? And this this means Christians to Christians, not Christians to non-believers. We don't need to try to outdo non-believers. We need to try to outdo one another in showing honor to God and to each other. Any thoughts? Almost so instead of making it like a competition to like, or putting the focus on ourselves, maybe do it through like encouraging each other. I mean, by encouraging one another, you can help build each other up faster to get that honor. Yeah, I just see it as like a like serving one another without ceasing, you know. Knock each other over to serve serve each other. Yeah. 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 I just read somewhere where it talks about you know think more about this than yourself. Everybody's gonna just like no here, you take it, you take it, and all the ice cream melts and nobody eats any ice cream. <laughs> is it true that you eat ice cream every day, twice a day? Yes. It's true. <laughs> if I don't do more than that. <laughs> what, what time is ice cream time? Just yeah, really. And so if I eat ice cream twice a day, every day, will I lose 30 pounds? <laughs> 12 o'clock is lunch, 6 o'clock supper. So I miss coffee. It's dinner and supper. <laughs> in the country. Yes. Okay, we can get through it if we keep on going. Chapter or verses thirteen through sixteen. Until our come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which has been given to you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by, for by, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. Some days I just cannot read. So these are more encouraging verses from Paul to Timothy. Paul knows how important it is to give Timothy encouragement. Paul knows how difficult it is to walk with Jesus in a leadership position. Paul understands and desires for Timothy to understand the importance of keeping a close watch on his life. He doesn't want Timothy to lead people astray just as he himself doesn't wish to lead people astray. Paul's ultimate desire for himself and for Timothy and all the churches and church leaders he writes to is to serve Christ and to live for Christ and to suffer for Christ to see that people would turn to Christ. Paul lived out his life to the full for the gospel, and he was encouraging Timothy to do the same. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through maybe 28, uh, Paul says, Are they servants of Christ? I know I sound like a madman, but I have served him far more. I have worked harder, been put in prison more often, been whipped times without number, and faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a night, a whole night and day adrift at sea. I have traveled on 
many long journeys. I have faced dangers from rivers and robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews as well as the Gentiles. I have faced danger in the cities and the deserts and on the seas. And I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I have worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty and have gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Then, besides all this, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. And just reading that, I thought, my goodness, that guy was intense. And for him, he wrote most of the New Testament. Like, this guy is, in my mind, it's like, he is the, aside from Jesus, he is the example that we should look to because he just devoted everything to Jesus. And it just made me think, I, I, I knew how Paul died and I thought, how did Timothy die? So it just made me think a whole lot like Paul is teaching Timothy to be like Paul. So it led me to think like I knew this, I knew this story existed about all the stuff that Paul's been through. So I just wanted to look it up and I thought, well, how did Paul die? And then I thought, well, how did Timothy die? And neither, neither of their deaths are recorded in scripture, but history seems to believe that Paul and Timothy's death are not, oh, sorry, Paul and Timothy's death are not recorded in scripture, but it is most widely accepted that Paul was eventually beheaded for his faith and Timothy was stoned to death. And these two men dedicated their lives to gospel ministry. So my question to you all is, are you willing to die for your faith? I'm just kidding. My question to you all is, what's one small step you can take to dedicate your life to gospel ministry? Heather, what's one small step that you can dedicate your, you can take to dedicate your life to gospel ministry? Um, just being a part of studies like this and standing up in church. Mm -hmm. Amen. <laughs> you feel like you never can do enough. Always feel like you've got to do more. And then once you get out of your comfort zone, maybe your comfort zone is praying out loud, and then a year from now, getting out of your comfort zone is going on a local mission trip, and then a year from now, it's going on an international trip and then five years from now it's moving overseas to be a missionary and then you know it's just a it's a dangerous snowball effect look at me i'm living in bellevue now <laughs> <laughs> mary's shaking her head back there what do you think mary i don't know what to think <laughs> just looking at paul in general kind of like as it's a good example to see when you were never too far gone, gone to be able to come to know Christ and to do work for Christ. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, before, you know, he would find it. He was out, he was killing us, you know. He was out to destroy Christ and anything to do with Christ. Mm -hmm. So no matter how big you think you have been, you're not too far gone for Christ to save you. And example to look at it, you know, because you know, I'm part of myself, and it's just like I see things that I did, and it's just like, and then I start thinking, well, how much did I have my eyes and tears somebody from coming to know Christ because of my my actions or what I've done or 
um, you know, either before I was saved or after I was saved. It's that visual picture that you're never too far gone. God to be able to bring you back and to use you in His ministry. Yeah, and that includes future mistakes as well. As a Christian, you're the only Bible some people ever read. I've heard that many times where it's what you do at your house or what you do when you go out. If you just say something like, God bless you, people recognize that. And, and we need to be, be more outgoing with people as far as Christianity is concerned. I hope that others can see Jesus in them if they Although my husband would say it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know you're feeling married. <laughs> well, that's the, the last verse of the chapter. <laughs> There's two roots left. I think that when we talk about it, we got to remember that he was in prison, he was been beaten, but he wrote both of the Bible we got today. So if everything can take his way, he would went to visit them and would have been in prison and all that. So when we're going through a hardship, you know, sometimes it's for God's glory, we might not see it. When he's sitting in prison, I think it would have been hard for him to say, look what I'm going like, God, now. I'm sitting here in prison. I'm being beat for my belief. But it turns out that God's will and we got his word now. Yeah, it gave him plenty of time to write so that we're still reading it 2,000 years later. <laughs> I mean, you thought I laugh about it, but without that, we wouldn't have it. Yeah. Most of the New Testament. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. So sometimes when we got problems, you know, instead of saying, why me? Why not? Maybe God is using it. But he was in prison one time and he was having the darkest place and he sang. And because of his him singing, people came to know Jesus from him. Mm-hmm. Especially the jailer and his whole family. I mean, when we're down in the valley or we going to sing or we going to cry. So the, I've already read it once, but the last verse says, Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So Paul's telling Timothy, you better watch yourself. If, you want, if you're wanting people to believe what you're teaching, you better keep a close watch on the way you act. You know. So if I leave here and go out and act fool, you know, people are going to think, well, that guy's no, no, he's no, no other way to learn that than a mother with a child. You watch your child sometimes take care of the baby doll, like maybe you hope they didn't see you do that. <laughs> mm-hmm. But you know in reality that they see this. <laughs> so it is um, kind of one, an eye-opener when you watch your child. And that's probably the best example I can say of what it would be to remember there's always little eyes watching you. Lots of them. Mm-hmm.